Our gospel lesson for today comes from Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, the assigned gospel for the 24th Sunday after Pentecost. Jesus says, For it is like a man going on a journey. If he summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them, to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. But the one who had two talents also in the same way made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The one with the two talents also came forward saying, master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return, I would have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, people of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. Admittedly today, I don't have any fancy story or cute little thing to get into this situation or into this text as I often do, but rather I just sort of want to dive in thinking about this story in light of the larger story that it is a part of. As I mentioned Earlier on, we are now in the 24th Sunday after Pentecost. Now, I've been talking about this in recent weeks as well, how we are moving now towards the end of the church year to the end of this long season of Pentecost that's gone on since clear back last spring. And we're moving into a theme that tends to emerge as Jesus talks about things that seem to point us towards the end times. We've had the early days of the church and we've moved through the life of the church. Now we're looking at what is to come. Now, all of this, this passage included, not to mention many of the recent ones we've had in in the last few weeks, are all part of a larger portion of Matthew's gospel that all occurs during the final week of his life. Now, we've talked about this before, how he's, this this is shortly happening before his arrest, before the Last Supper, before he's tortured and ultimately killed. He's in Jerusalem with his disciples. He's kind of in and out of the temple. He's teaching. He's interacting with folks. There's all sorts of different stuff going on, and all of this is happening. And at one point, about two chapters before this particular passage, Jesus has been in the temple with his disciples, and by all accounts at this point, it's a marvelous structure. It's an amazing structure, and they're like, can you believe this place? And Jesus says, you know, there's going to come a day when this, this temple will be no more. 
Not one stone will stand on another. And the disciples say, hey, Lord, what will be the sign that this is going to happen? Basically, they're asking, hey, how can we know that this is about to happen? And with that, he jumps into all these different teachings, direct teachings, parables, all sorts of illustrations that all seem to point us in the same direction of you don't know when it's going to happen. So live your lives in a way that reflects this reality now. And what is that reality? Well, when we go all the way back to the beginning, the thing that we've been talking about over and over and over and over again, it's this promise that somehow through Jesus, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, has it come to fruition yet? No, it hasn't. And that's some of that not yet, that out there in the unknown future that we're talking about. But basically, Jesus kind of continues to tell us over and over and over again, this theme continues to emerge. Live your lives now as if the kingdom of heaven is near. And as you do that, as you reflect that truth, as you reflect, reflect that light out into the world, the light that is the light of Christ, then maybe that's how we help it come towards fruition. That seems to be the ongoing thing. And that's present here as well. But in this particular passage, I found a little bit of a different situation where Jesus does not say the kingdom of heaven is like that. Rather, this one starts off when he says it's as if, which maybe sounds kind of similar, but to me points in slightly different direction. And I think it's actually pointing us back at the gospel section that came just before this one, which was our gospel lesson a week ago. Now, if you saw our video from last week or if you were here for in-person worship, you know it was the parable of the 10 bridesmaids. And we found this separation. We've got the 10 smart ones or the 10 wise ones and the 10 foolish ones who seem to find a separation or they encounter a separation that happens on both sides of the same issue, this issue of scarcity, this idea of I have to somehow be ready or there's something that's expected of me and I have to do that or prepare that or have that. And if I don't have it, then I'm not going to be good enough and I won't be able to enter into the celebration. And the five wise ones, when they're asked for extra oil, they say, no, if we give you some, we won't have enough. And the five foolish ones think, well, we don't have any, so we have to go and get some. It's this idea that there is something I have to accomplish, something that I have to do in order to be good enough. I think that that idea is carrying forward into this parable for today, this oddball parable of the master with the three slaves and the talents that he gives them. Now, as this story starts, we've got this master who's, who at first glance seems like maybe he's really, really generous because he's going to leave and go off to a foreign land for a while. He's going to be gone for a really, really long time. So he gives something of incredible value to these three slaves, talents, five, two, and one. A talent, just so you know, is the equivalent of 15 years worth of wages for a day laborer. So it's an incredible sum of money. It's an incredible, incredible value. And he gives it to these three, these, these three different amounts, but, but an incredible amount to all three of them. And off he goes. Two of them immediately get to work. Five talent guy and two talent, five, there we go. Five talent guy and two talent guy. They both put the money to work, put the value to work, and they double it. Over the course of the amount of time that the master is gone, five-talent guy gets five more, two-talent guy gets two more. And when he comes back to settle accounts with them, they say, look, look, you gave me five, here's five more. Here, you gave me two, here's two more. And he says the exact same thing to both of them. Well done, you guys did good, I'm so proud of you. You, you had little things and you did well, so I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. But then we've got one talent guy, and he's in a different boat. One talent guy seems to know something, and he seems to paralyze him. He's afraid. 
And so he takes the master's talent, the master's money, the master's value, whatever we want to call it, and he buries it in a hole so that when he comes back, he didn't lose anything. And he says, here, have what is yours. And the reason is also given. I know that you are a harsh man. You reap where you do not sow. You gather where you do not harvest. You receive that which you had no part in creating or producing. And this fear of this harsh man seems to paralyze one talent guy to the point where he's so afraid that he might lose it and he might not have anything to offer back to the master when the master returns that he literally causes it to come to fruition. Now, as I thought about all of this and the response of the master, you wicked and lazy slave, you, you know that I'm a harsh man. Well, you're right. I'm going to take it away from you and I'm going to throw you into the outer darkness. You're unacceptable. I can't help but wonder what would have happened if five talent dude or two talent dude, if they had not made wise, smart, good, or perhaps lucky investments and they would have lost it, would they have been in the same boat? Would the master still have said, well, you tried hard and I'm proud of you, so come on into the joy of your master? Or would he have said the same thing to them that he said to the last guy? Throw them out. They couldn't be trusted. They didn't produce enough. Throughout all of this, it seems to point in one direction that I think is dangerous for us to hold on to. Now, if we think end times and this is what we have to do to be ready, then we're getting stuck in the exact same trap that we saw a week ago with the 10 bridesmaids, that we have to somehow do enough or something is expected of us or we have to produce enough in order to be welcomed into the joy of the master, that we have to somehow earn it. That seems to be the implication of this and that if we don't, we're out of luck. Maybe if we think about all of this, we see that one talent guy knew the truth and the truth was so terrifying to him that he was trapped in it. And ultimately it comes to fruition for him. And maybe he knows ultimately that he has to be saved from it. This thing that has him paralyzed, this fear of this harsh master who makes them earn it. That's where I continue to wrestle with this whole thing, with this parable in light of everything that's going on. One talent guy was, was paralyzed by fear. And because of that, he didn't produce anything. And therefore, that particular master found fault with him. Folks, there's a lot in the world that might be paralyzing us by fear now, too. There's a lot going on. As I record this today, there's ongoing conversations within our leadership about the possibility of going back to online worship. We haven't made that decision yet, but that's a possibility. Something that we're looking at as this pandemic is getting worse, not better. As numbers continue to climb through the roof, not only here in our little corner of the world, but throughout all of our nation, and honestly, even at different parts around the world, that we're doing pretty good. Now they're starting to see things spike back up as well. In the midst of all this, we're asking the question, is this safe? Is this a smart idea? Can I do this? Should I do that? Can I visit with this person? Can I talk to this person? Who's coughing over there? Who's sneezing over here? Can I invite people for the holiday? Do I need to stay home? Can I travel? Should I not? All of these things. And I can only speak for myself, but it's paralyzing. It's terrifying that we're going to do something wrong and somebody's going to die because of it. That's only one issue, though that's, of course, a big one. There's plenty of other things going on in the world too that is scary 
things that are not right, things that we don't know what to do, what to, what to make of it. We're, we're in the middle of a divisive time in all kinds of topics. And we just had an extraordinarily divisive election that honestly, depending on who you talk to, is either over or isn't over yet. We have people who are dealing with illnesses beyond just COVID. We got people who have received diagnosis of things that are pretty scary, and maybe they don't know what to do with it. We have other folks that are waiting on, on the reports to come back from tests and they're in that mode and, and they don't know what to do and they don't know how to move forward. We've got all kinds of stuff going on, all kinds of stuff. And as it builds and builds and builds and builds, again, I can only speak for myself, but I suspect maybe this is the same for you too. All this stuff is terrifying and at times it can be paralyzing and I feel like I need to be rescued from it. Maybe one talent guy felt the exact same way. He needed to be rescued from the idea that he had to fix it, that he had to earn it, that he had to do something about it. If the gospel teaches us anything, it's freedom from that very thing. Now we go around and round and round with this a lot, and I feel like we talk about this a lot, but it's something that we say over and over and over again because it remains to be true. There is brokenness in this world. There is brokenness within us. And because of that, the ability to earn the favor of God, the ability to earn righteousness, to earn salvation, to earn eternal life, or whatever term we want to use for it, is something that we cannot achieve. If we could, guess what? We wouldn't have needed Jesus in the first place. But we do, because the brokenness that exists within humanity, within us as individuals, between us as in the relationships that we have and the way that they get broken by that brokenness and by that sinfulness, and the relationship that we have with God, which is broken and hindered because of all of that, all of this is what Jesus somehow came to overcome. That's what God was doing in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, overcoming that which we cannot achieve on our own. Folks, earlier this week, this past Monday, we held a funeral here in the sanctuary, the first funeral that we as a congregation, we as a faith community have had since the beginning of this whole pandemic. It had been months upon months upon months since we had had experienced a death in our community and within our congregation. And so I had not led a funeral. This was the first funeral that I had presided over in a long time. And I stood in the pulpit, which is right over here off camera. And as I spoke to the people who were in attendance, we spoke into the truth that we experience at funerals, that death is a reality, that pain is a reality, that all of this is real and we acknowledge it, and we, we see it, and we feel that everything about it is somehow wrong. But then we also proclaim the gospel. The gospel that says, despite the wrongness, that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is spoken by God. God gets the last word, and that, God, that, that word of God is a claim upon every individual. You are my beloved child. I claim you, and death doesn't get the last word. I stood in that pulpit and I proclaimed that gospel. I proclaimed that truth 
that truth in the face of the wrongness and the pain and the sorrow of death. And I looked out and I saw people nodding when the gospel was doing what it was supposed to do. And somehow it felt right. Somehow it felt defiant in the face of all this junk that's going on in the world to stand up there and say, I don't care what you say. I don't care what you throw at me. God gets the last word and that word is good. That's the gospel. That's the gospel that frees us from the paralyzing junk of all of this stuff and helps us to hold on to hope in the midst of a very painful and overwhelming reality. Maybe, just maybe, what this story is telling us, if it's telling us anything, is that when we can live our lives holding on to that hope and let our lives reflect it, not to overcome the junk that we're facing, but in the face of it, when we live our lives in a way that reflects that hope that the gospel gives us, the gospel, the good news of God's claim upon you and upon everyone, when we live our lives in a way that reflects it, maybe somebody else will see it and will be affected and they will hear and feel and sense and experience whatever word we want to use. They will have the gospel in that moment too and maybe that will give them some hope. And that hope will double itself, just like the talents of five talent and two talent dude got doubled and they had something to show for it. It's not about us and it's not about presenting something to God like, look what I did. It's about saying your grace is sufficient for me and despite all the junk, I'm going to hold on to that hope and maybe that hope will give some hope to somebody else. May we hold on to that because folks, we're in dark days. But we have a God who says, this isn't it. You are mine, and my word is bigger. Amen.